Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Okay, so we're, uh, we're going to look today at, uh, we've been looking the last few weeks, uh, I've had a series called Reaching the One, which is really our, our, the mission of, of City Reach Cumberland. And if you, if you look online, our mission is to reach the one that's far from God. Let's say this, reach the one that's far from God and help them become a passionate follower of Jesus. So we, we've been looking at uh, some stories in the book of John where Jesus reached the one, where he had an interaction with an individual, uh, whether that was Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Last week we looked at John uh, 6, where the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, I'm sorry, John 5, and then this week we're going to look at John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. One of my favorite stories, not because I like adultery, but uh, that was bad. Yeah. I just like it because it, it's, a, it's a story of grace. And I really want to talk to you today about breaking the cycle of sin. Because I can tell you from personal experience, I've had seasons in my life where I have been stuck in a sinful rut. And I'll sin, I repent, I really want to make it right, and I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. And the woman we're going to look at in this story, if you read over it at first blush, it, it looks like she was caught in the act of adultery, which she was. It says in verse 3, it says, it says that they brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And then it says in verse 4, And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So in verse 3, when it says caught, it's actually the, the perfect tense of that verb, which means she's stuck in it. In verse 4, when it says, We caught her in adultery, present tense, in the very act, she was actually committing it. And, and so... It would be like, you know, let's take, everybody, anybody know a pathological liar? Yeah, I get some amens there. So it would be like somebody that's known as a pathological liar, that's what they're stuck in, but then you catch them in a lie. Or maybe it's someone that's stuck in addiction, but you catch them in the act of using. And that's what this woman's going on in her life. She was caught in adultery. She was sucked up into this life of adultery, and the Pharisees, they catch her, uh, trying to trap Jesus, but they catch her in the actual very act of it. And I guess I'm just so passionate about grace, because if not for the grace of Jesus, I would still be stuck in some of the things I used to be stuck in. I lived a life of just horrific rage, horrific anger, lived the life of lust. And I'd be in this cycle of condemnation. I'd be down on myself. Then you get to the point where you're like, well, what's it matter at this point? I'm already in it. Why not do it again? Why not do it again? Or I'd repent. I'd really try hard. And, and, and then I'd, I would mess up again. And so I want to ask you today, if there's one 
Last week I asked you about an issue, but if there's one sin in your life today that you really struggle with that you'd like to be free of, what would it be? Now you might be sitting there with the holier-than-now attitude, right? Matter of fact, I got the holier-than-now attitude yesterday on the canal uh, bike path. Anybody ever go biking downtown? You know how you can get the holier-than-now look on the bike path? Don't wear a helmet. Right? I'm not a helmet wearer. But, you know, I'm going along with my wife. It's her anniversary. We're pedaling. And, you know, the helmet wearers, and I'm sorry if we got any helmet wearers out here, but the helmet wearers ride by, and we're like, hey, what's up? And they just give you that look like you're less than because you don't wear a helmet. So we tried it again. Hey, what's up? I finally see a guy with no helmet. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, buddy? You know, we non-helmet wearers, I mean, we're, we're there, but, but man, the other ones sure make you feel a certain way. And so, today I can just tell you from my personal life, I've struggled, but because of grace, and just an understanding of grace, I've been radically set free. Jesus wants to do the same for you. And so, I know when I ask you if you have a sin in your life, you might sit there and like, well, <laughs> I wear my helmet. I'm not a pathological liar. I'm not stuck in addiction. I'm not a kleptomaniac. But let's broaden the definition of sin for a minute. Because a lot of times when I say, hey, are you stuck in sin? We think of the big ones, right? Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm wearing my helmet when I'm on the bike path. But, you know, I like to define sin the way the Bible defines sin. Is that okay? So 1 John 5, 17, of course, is the way we normally define it. It says all wrongdoing is sin. Anybody disagree with that? Pretty easy, right? And that's where we kind of stick. But Romans 14.23 said, Whatsoever is not done in faith is sin. But if you do something with doubt, the Bible calls it sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9-12 through 12 say that if you exercise your rights in terms of freedom or liberty, you know, if God gives you liberty to do certain things, if you exercise your right and cause a weaker brother to stumble, it says you sin against that brother and you sin against Christ. James chapter 2, verse 9 says, if you show favoritism, that's sin. And James 4.17 says, to him that knows, knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. So the Bible defines sin a lot broader than we might. And so you may not be stuck in a big sin, but you might have some other issues in your life that, hey, yeah, I continually make decisions apart from faith. Yeah, I continually think, hey, it's okay for me. I don't care what happens to the weaker guy. Or maybe I show partiality or favoritism to certain denominations, certain ethnic groups, or certain... Uh, political parties, whatever it might be. Favoritism is a sin. 
And maybe you know all the right stuff to do, and you just continually don't do it. That could be sin. So here's the good news. I'm not telling you that to make you feel bad. I'm telling you that to tell you there is an answer, and his name is Jesus. No matter what your issue is, no matter what your sin is, it's Jesus. And so I want to look at the story today, and I want to talk to you about grace. I want to show you three things about grace. One, the person of grace. You can write these down, the person of grace. Number two, the pronouncement of grace. Number three, the power of grace. I'll throw a bonus one in at the end. You have to wait to the end to get it. The person of grace, the pronouncement of grace, and the power of grace. Father God, I just pray today that your Holy Spirit would take your word, spoken, and make it real. Bring it to life as only you can in Jesus' name. Alright, so if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. Oh, uh, I'm going to read it, and then we'll teach through a few points. Verse 2. It says, Now early in the morning he came, speaking of Jesus, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and, taught, and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. So let's just stop right there. So the Pharisees hated Jesus. Right? They, they, they hated him because he was more popular than, than they were. Uh, it says even when, when they... They handed him over to Pilate to, to be crucified. It says they handed him over because of envy. They were really envious of him. He had a following of people that they didn't have. They hated him because he healed on the Sabbath. We saw that last week. We saw that Jesus heals the lame man on the Sabbath. And they really hated him because he hung out with sinners. Imagine that. You know, he hung out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. And they just couldn't stand that. So what they wanted to do, they, they were always trying to trap Jesus. And so, they, I'm sure they, they probably hired, like, the best strategist, right? You know, every political party, they have political strategists. Well, the Pharisees, they had their own strategists. They probably sat around this think tank, kind of like Pastor Jay's going to do when he does this fantasy football pick. But they're in this, they're like, how can we trap Jesus? What can we do? And then the brightest guy said, I got it. Let's get this woman who is stuck in the life of adultery. We know where she's going to be. We know where her normal routine is. We're going to bring her out, throw her in front of Jesus, completely naked, maybe got a little bit of uh, a bed sheet on, whatever, and throw her down and say, hey, we just caught this woman. Moses says in the law to stone her. What do you say? And, and, and they think, well, we got him. Because he can basically one of two answers. He can say, well, go ahead and stone her. And if, if he says stone her, he violates his own teaching of forgiveness and grace. If he says, let her go, he violates the law of Moses. So they think, we got him. We got him, there's no way out. And it said they did this in verse 5, verse 6. It said, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. 
You know, I just, as I was reading this several times this week, you know, it's just, I like to think that every time the enemy brings an accusation, you know, Revelation says that the devil is what? The accuser of the brethren. Jesus, as if he doesn't hear. It says he stooped down, wrote on the ground as if he didn't even hear. And sometimes we pay attention to what the accuser says, but Jesus is like, I don't, he's like, la, 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 I don't hear anything. La, 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 la. And many times people, you know, they'll, they'll talk about what Jesus wrote. I don't know. You could spend a whole thing about teaching about what or speculating what he may have wrote. I don't know. It doesn't say. It says, verse 7, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, my Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. All right, the first thing I want you to see is when they bring this woman to Jesus, they say, Moses said in the law to do what? Now, she wasn't getting stoned, like we might think of getting stoned. Right? Don't let your mind run that way. Literal, literal rocks. Not crack rocks. Hey, I just found out today... Amanda Gualo told me, I'm like, why does everybody misspell the name Lord on Facebook? L-O-R-D-T. I'm like, don't people know how to spell? She said, it's Medea. I'm like, Mahu? <laughs> I'm like, I'm still stuck in get. She goes, you need to get with it. I said, I'm still in like 1988 getting jiggy with it. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not up to Medea. Where was I? Jiggy with it. No, 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 no. That's what Jesus. That's what Jesus says when the devil comes. He says, "No, no, no, no." So they said, Moses says in the law to stoner. What do you say? Here's what I want you to know: is this is a great story to parallel law and grace. Because what we see in John chapter 1, verse 17, it says the law was given by Moses. Who gave the law? Moses. How did it come? It was given. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by whom? Jesus Christ. So we see the law, Moses being the lawgiver, very impersonal, very distant, Mount Sinai, you remember all that? It says the, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came. And they came by a person. And that person's name was Jesus. And so what I like to do a lot of times is when, when I, I really want to think that, that Jesus is the embodiment of the grace of God. And that what Jesus does, and what Jesus says, and what Jesus exhibits, and the way he walks, and the way he interacts with people, it's grace. It's grace. 
See, what I like to do is I like to take even this story, and I even read it again this morning, and I go back to verse 1, and I say, Early in the morning, grace came to the temple. And the people came to grace, and grace taught them. Doesn't that give it a, a nice... Imagine that. Early in the morning, grace came to the temple, and people came to grace, and grace taught them. Go to the next slide. See, here's what I know about grace, especially in the person of Jesus. It attracts people. Grace is attractive. Actually, the law repels people. But Jesus, the person of grace, is attractive. If you look even... Remember when Jesus told the story of the, of the lost sheep in Luke 15? Or then the lost coin and, and then the lost son? All through Luke 15. If you look at the very beginning of Luke 15, I love verses 15, or Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then all of the tax collectors and sinners came near him to hear him. Verse 2 says, But the scribes and Pharisees complained that this man receives sinners and even eats with them. See, sometimes we think we have to compromise who we are in order to attract sinful people. Jesus never compromised. Jesus never condoned things that were wrong. Jesus was probably the most morally, not was, he was, not might have been, was, he was the most morally right, upright, holy person that ever lived, and yet sinners were attracted to him. And sometimes we think, well, i got to act like them to reach them. Or I have had to been one of them to reach them. Our ministry is predominantly to reach people that are, that are addicted to, to, to certain things, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be. But let me say this to those of you here that have never been in addiction. You don't have had to you don't have to have been an addict to reach an addict. You don't have to have been an adulterer to reach an adulterer. You don't have to have been a prostitute or a drug dealer or a thief to reach one. Because Jesus reached them all and they were all attracted to him. See, I used to struggle with like, well, I've never been an addict. How do I reach an addict? You know what the answer is? Grace. Grace. When I was leaving the last church Kristen and I attended, I had a Pharisee ask me a question. Did you know Pharisees live? <laughs> Do you know Pharisees still live, are alive today? This was a pastor Pharisee, and he doesn't live around here anymore, so I can tell this story. And I said, my wife and I really feel called the Lord to go, go to this church and help addicts and help people that are struggling with stuff because God's done so much for me. I want to help some other people. And he looked at me and he said, what do you have in common with those people? Did you ever get have righteous anger well up in you? <laughs> and I, I was a little, i got to admit, I was a little snippy. I, I didn't say any swear words, but I said, you mean... Those people like Jesus hung out with? Like those people? And I said, bye. I don't ever want anybody coming to this church ever to feel like one of those people. 
Every one of you are somebody that Jesus loves. So, Jesus was a person of grace. He was grace personified, but for us, who lives in you? Christ, if you're saved, Jesus, guess what you need to be? You need to be a person of grace. You can reach anybody if you're a person of grace. Now, if you've been delivered of something, I believe you have a special anointing to reach somebody else. God's delivered you. You, you got something I don't have. But we got the same Holy Spirit. You got experience, but we got the same Holy Spirit. We got the same Jesus. We got the same grace. Next slide. Grace is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. So a lot of times we hear that. I love that definition. It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited. But more than that, I want you to remember, grace is not just a doctrine. It's not a teaching. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. His name is Jesus. All right, second. Next. Pronouncement. When do we think of the word pronounce? I now... Oh, see, you all got it. Pronounce you, man. It's, it's something you say. It, it, it actually, actually can mean even a verdict. Right? It, it's, anybody ever waited for a verdict? <laughs> I got more people in the church wait, have waited for verdicts than have got married. How about that? Those, those people, come on. Well, the first thing we've got to do is get you a not guilty verdict, then we can pronounce you man and wife, right? Pretty, pretty hard to get married when you're locked up. So they say, Moses in the law says that she should be stoned. What does grace say? Law says this. What does grace say? Jesus says, where are those, your, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, my Lord. And what does grace say? Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Grace speaks a verdict that's not guilty. See, a lot of times we think, you know, we think of God, and you've got to remember that Jesus is the personification of grace. He, he's, he's God on earth in the flesh. And so that what he does shows us the nature of God. And in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to do what? Condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God, in the verse earlier, said that God sent his son to save the world. But then verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come for the purpose of condemning you. He came to save you. You know why he doesn't need to condemn you? What's verse 18 say? Oh, I didn't, put, I didn't break them out. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's why Jesus doesn't need to. He's not going to, but he doesn't need to, because when you're born, you're born in sin. You're born with a death sentence. So 
So you're already guilty. You're already condemned. To be condemned or, or condemnation just means to, to give a guilty verdict. Is the easiest way to think about it. That you've been declared guilty. That you've been found guilty. You have a damnatory sentence. It's like when you, you're found guilty and you get a sentence, that's, that's not a good thing, in case you're wondering. But Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn you, because unless you believe in me, you're already condemned. See, what the law does, the law, it says in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and it says that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may be found guilty before God. For by the works of the law shall no man be justified, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So all the law does, it says, Here's what's right, here's what's wrong. Oh, by the way, you're guilty. And it stops there. And it says that the law says that everybody is found guilty before God. But Jesus didn't come to tell you that. He came to set you free from that. See, when you accept Jesus, it says, unless you believe on him, you're condemned already. So when you believe in Jesus... That's the term that says that you're, have you heard the term in Christ? That you're in him? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Next slide says this. Everybody say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. See, until you get saved, condemned. When you receive Jesus, not condemned. And see, a lot of times we, we read that word no, and, and, and we're like, well, we use so many hyperboles today that we don't, like, what part of no don't you understand? Like, if you grew up when I did, there was like an old country song. What, uh, Kim's shaking her head, she probably heard it. What part of no don't you understand? Really? But no means no. See, but we... We, we, we use the word no like as hyperbole, and then, then when it comes to a verse, we can't grasp the, 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 the magnitude of it. We say, like my daughter the other day, she's like, hey, Dad, can you give me 20 bucks? I, don't, I have no money. We're like, really? Let me pull your bank account up. Well, that's the money I earned from working. I'm like, well, you have money. But we say, I don't have, I have no money. Or... For you ladies, guys, ever heard this? I've got nothing to wear. I've got nothing to wear. Somehow, when she comes to bed, she always finds something to wear. <laughs> like, shouldn't that apply all the time? I've got, oh, that's 28 years, she says. I've got nothing to wear. you got six closetfuls of something to wear. <laughs> oh, we went to the game and nobody showed up. Well, you were there. The players were there, but nobody showed up. So, so we use no and none and nothing, all these different ways. And then we get to a verse like this, and well, well no can't mean no. But when, what was the song we sing? All the promises of God, 2 Corinthians verse 1, 
2 Corinthians 1.20, every promise of God is yes in him and amen in him. They're all in Christ. And the promise here says that when you're in Christ, no condemnation. And I like the next translation. Pull this up for me. Next slide. It says those who are in Christ are not judged guilty. Not guilty. The law says guilty. The verdict of grace says not guilty. So how can that be? How can God say that I'm not guilty when I am? Anybody ever broke the law? Every hand better be up. <laughs> now, I, I might as well just ask anybody lie on Sunday in church and like you all just did. Bunch of heathens. <laughs> See, God, God did not get soft on sin. God hates sin. God's a holy God. God's a just God. And if the penalty for sin is death, death had to take place. The good news is, is that Jesus took your penalty. See, that's why we go to the next verse, which is Romans chapter 8, verse 3, just a few verses down. It says, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. It actually means it was powerless. See, think of, think of a chain, right? A chain's only as strong as what? It's weakest link. So the only way you could be made righteous through the law was the law and your flesh had to work together. The law said do it, your flesh had to do it. The law said don't do it, your flesh had to do it. The law was perfect, the law was good, but our flesh was weak. And because our flesh was weak, it made the, the law ineffective. And it said what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God did it. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. Look at this. He condemned sin in the flesh. Which that flesh means the flesh of Jesus. So here comes Jesus. Perfect, sinless, holy, righteous, equal to God. He comes as a man. Fully God, fully man. Don't know how to explain that, but that's what he was. And then as he hung on the cross... Every sin. Every sin. Starting with Adam and Eve eating of the tree. Every sin that's ever taken place. Every sin you've ever committed. Every sin you've ever struggled with. Every sin that you've not even committed yet, God knew. He puts them on Jesus. And he condemned sin in the body of Jesus for you. It's kind of like this. Let's just say you committed a, some heinous crime. You get locked up for life. You're on death row. Imminent, you're going to die. You're in a state where they like to execute. And a billionaire decides to leave his entire inheritance to you. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't do you any good, would it? Would do you no good, but he leaves it for you. 
But let's just say there was a way that that billionaire could go to the judge and say, I want to die in this guy's place so that he can get out and enjoy the benefits of what I've left him. That's what Jesus did. God has given you everything that Jesus is entitled to. It's yours. You're, you deserve death. But God took everything you did and condemned and judged and found Jesus guilty. And he died in your place so that you could inherit everything that belonged to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it just really shows what he did. It said, for he made him, which means God made Jesus, to be sin for Fred. He made Jesus to be sin for me. He made Jesus to be sin for you. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He didn't have sin, he became sin. We didn't have righteousness, but we became righteous. We got everything that he gave us because he died in our place. Let's go to the next slide. When you accept God's free gift of grace, your verdict is always, say it, not guilty. That's, <laughs> isn't that what everybody wants to hear? Not guilty. What's the law say? Guilty. Grace says, not guilty. How many want grace? <laughs> yeah, right? I love it. All right, next. The power of grace. See, here, here's a big differentiator. The law can tell you what's wrong, but it can't fix your problem. Kind of like you could, and they say the law, the Bible says the law is like a mirror, right? Like I get a mirror out and I look in the morning and I got a big pimple on my face. The mirror shows me that, but the mirror can't fix it. It can only point it out and make me feel real embarrassed I got one, but it doesn't do any good. Grace goes the next step. Grace says, hey, what you did was wrong, but I paid for it. Now you have the chance not to be under the bondage of that anymore. See, grace empowers you to do the very thing it commands. Here's an interesting verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. I don't think I have it up there. But it says, the strength of sin is the law. So what do we usually tell people? Oh, you need, you need the Ten Commandments. You need the Ten Commandments. We need the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to, as a matter of fact, I'm just not going to go there. Because I'll, I'll get off on a tangent. But let me say this. Paul says the strength of sin is the law. Do you know that word strength in 1 Corinthians 15, 56 is the word dunamis? Miracle working power. Let that sink in. The miracle working power of sin is the law. That if you want somebody to actually grow in their sin, give them the law. It increases it. We were biking yesterday. My wife, not a good law-obeying citizen. 
You know, because the law says, don't do this. What's it make you want to do? Do that. We're going down the road. Of course, me, you know, I, I'm, I, I, bought, I obey the laws. It says, all bikers and walkers this, or this way. So I'm turning, and what's she doing? She's trying to go straight. Like, didn't you see the sign? Oh, I wasn't reading the signs. You know, but that's the thing, the law. It makes you want to do the very opposite thing it commands. That's just how it is. It actually strengthens sin. It makes sin stronger. Grace, on the other hand, empowers you to not sin. How does that work? I want to read to you. We're going to read, uh, we're just, we're almost done. Romans chapter 6. There's a lot of verses here. Let's just kind of read through it, and I want to, I want to talk to you just a minute about it. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that we, that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. So what this, this chapter is talking about, it says, when you get saved, we know we become a new creation, but before you become a new creation, the old, old sin nature, the old you has to die. Right? And if we read Romans chapter 7, it says that we're now married to Christ. Well, until the old man dies, you can't get married to the new man. And so, the day, the moment that you accept Jesus, you make him Lord and Savior of your life, the old man that has the drive to sin, that pushes you to sin, he dies. Now, he's left a little bit of his remnants in the rest of you, because you still have some, some desires you've got to deal with, but he's dead. The thing that was influencing you to sin is dead. It said, we're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know that we will live with him. So here's, uh, Paul's drawing a parallel. Let's go to the next slide. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. How many times did Jesus die? Not a trick question. How many times did he die? Once. When he died, we died. How many times did he die? Once. It says in verse 11, it says to reckon or to consider. The word reckon has to actually deal with a fact. It's kind of like when you balance your checkbook. I've got X amount of dollars and that's what I have. It's a fact. And he says, I want you to consider yourself dead to sin the same way, likewise, in the same manner that Jesus died to sin. How many times did Jesus die to sin? Sin condemned in his flesh, he dies, he raises again. How long is he alive for? Ever. So your spiritual life's the same way. You die to sin one time. Now I know a lot of people want to say you need to die to sin every day. You don't, because if you die to sin every day, that means sin's still alive, and it's not. It says, I want you to die to sin or consider yourself, reckon yourselves dead to sin the same way Jesus is. And then what he says I want you to do, then I want you to present yourself to God. It says, I think it's verse 14, it says, present your members not as members of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members to God as members of righteousness. So what's that mean? It means that I have to acknowledge that the sin in me is dead. Now I'm alive just like Jesus is forevermore. The new me is alive. And now I have a choice. Now the choice I make every day is not to 
kill the old man because he's dead. The choice I make every day is to who I'm going to yield to. It says that I can present my members as unrighteousness, or I can present my members to God, which means yield to God as members of righteousness. But I have to show up every day alive. I have to show up every day realizing that that's no longer part of me. That now I have a choice. I can choose to sin. I can choose not to sin. And that's where a lot of people get it wrong, is you choose, if you're a born-again Christian, you choose to sin. Or you choose not to sin. It comes to the decision you got to make every day when you get up. Am I going to submit to the world? Or am I going to submit to God? And when I submit to God, I say, Father, I am a new creation. I'm alive, as alive inside as Jesus is right now. I have resurrection life in me, and I'm submitting and yielding my members to you to be a servant of righteousness. And guess what? God helps you walk that out. He helps you walk it out. That's the power of grace. That's what he does. See, what happens so many times, we get up and we try to do right, and we try to do right, and we try to do right. Effort gets you nowhere. I just submit. I'm a new creation. I'm submitting to you. I'm yielding to you. I'm going to live my life for you today. And boom, he empowers you to do it. See, God would be unjust to command you to do something that you can't do. He tells the woman, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, God never got soft on sin. God does not condone sin. See, a lot of people today think that in order for you to not condemn them, you have to accept their sin. You don't. There's a difference. Jesus never condemned anybody, but at the same time, he didn't, he didn't compromise on sin, ever. See, here's what happens. When we compromise on sin, you sacrifice the platform that you were given to preach from. See, each of us has the one that we're to reach. But when you compromise on sin, Jesus never did, you sacrifice that platform, whatever your platform is. I don't mean this platform, but whatever, whatever your circle is, you sacrifice that every time you compromise on sin. God calls us to holy living so that we can set the example not to condemn people, but to love them, grace them, embrace them, and introduce them to Jesus. All right, here's your bonus. Grace is not an excuse to sin. It's the empowerment not to sin. All right, last one. Bonus. The place of grace. Can you imagine what worse place to be? <laughs> you get caught in the middle of committing adultery and they bring you to the church. <laughs> Imagine somebody, let's not imagine it, but just say, somebody's committing adultery, they grab her and they drag her and set her right here. Here's what I want. I want that person that brought in here not to feel a bit of shame. After everybody left, after every rock dropped, after every Pharisee and scribe walked away, 
It said she was left alone in the midst with Jesus. And he looked up and saw nobody but her. You see his eyes of love, just the way he looked at her. See, if you need grace today, you need to be in the midst alone with Jesus. There's no better place. See, Jesus is not this ogre that wants to judge you and condemn you. He wants to embrace you. And I'll close with this verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Which really is a negative way of saying we have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. It says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was tested or tempted in all points, like us, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to what? The throne of grace, where we might, or that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. A lot of times you think, well, I'm too dirty to come to Jesus. I've messed up too much. But notice the throne of grace. You're coming for mercy and for grace. Mercy is not receiving something bad that you deserve. Grace is receiving something good that you don't deserve. And he says, I want you to come to the throne room. I want you to come face to face in the presence of Jesus, whether you need mercy or whether you need grace. If you've messed up, don't be ashamed. There's no better place that you can be. If you need help, there's no better place that you can be. Bow our heads. And sometimes people say that getting caught and repenting after you get caught is not true repentance. I beg to differ. King David got caught in the midst of adultery and murder, and he truly repented. I've seen people come to the altar. I've seen people repent and cry and boo-hoo and never really make a change. I've also seen people get caught and they come to Jesus for all the wrong reasons and walk away changed. So it doesn't really matter how do you get to him, what you do with what he offers. Father God, I just ask right now, your Holy Spirit, Jesus, your spirit's called the spirit of grace. I just pray that you would draw whoever needs grace today, whoever needs mercy today. Let them know that you love them. Keep your heads bowed. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, I just want to walk you through what it means to accept him. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I, I want you just to pray this to yourself. If you really mean business with God, if you know that you're a sinner, 
and you want to have your sins forgiven for good and start a new walk with Him, I want you to say this, Father God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know I'm deserving of hell. But I thank you that Jesus took my punishment and my sin on him and died for me and rose again the third day. And I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I receive him today and say yes to Jesus. Amen. Prayed that today. like to talk to you afterwards we won't embarrass you also if you're here today and you're struggling with anything we're just gonna we're not gonna have an altar time today but I want to let you know that I'm here to pray for you and uh, I'll just pray for you bless you out if you need prayer uh, Pastor Jay and I are here I have some ladies as well uh, let me just pray for you right now Father God I thank you that you you knew everything about us when you formed us, even in the womb. Lord God, that you made us in your image, where you were fearfully and wonderfully made. But Father, you knew, you knew everything about us, every intricate detail, Lord, every, every hurt that we would suffer as a child, every broken heart as an adult, every struggle that we would deal with, Lord, you, you knew them. Every sin we'd commit, Lord. But you loved us anyway, and you sent Jesus anyway. Father, right now, I just, just speak grace, grace, to whatever mountain somebody's dealing with today. Lord, I just speak grace over their life. Father, I pray that today would be the day that everything stops. And they walk in the freedom the grace that you've so richly provided. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. God bless you. Have a wonderful Labor Day. Uh, and if you need prayer, want prayer, love to spend